are wrapping up a series that we've called The Secret of Contentment. We've been walking through the letter of Philippians, and I love the Word of God. I, I think it's as applicable as any newspaper, magazine, that, or blog you're going to read today, because I think that the Lord, His Word is living and active, and so uh, we're going to be in Philippians 4 today, so you can go ahead and get your device or your Bible, and I'm going to encourage you to keep it open. And uh, we've been talking about contentment. Let me let me give a little plug uh, right quick. Tonight at 6 o'clock in here, we're doing a hymn sing. And uh, I know that many of you, like me, grew up uh, singing hymns. I, I can remember as a kid, and this is just telling on me a little bit, uh, we didn't have kids' church. We, we sat with mom and dad and got thumped on the head and uh, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, I can remember waking up for most invitation hymns. So I know the just as I am's and uh, those kind of things more than, more than anything. But uh, it's going to be a fun time tonight. It, hymns remind you of God being faithful. And so tonight we will celebrate that together. But we're talking about contentment. Contentment, uh, I, I know that the reason the Lord had us walk through this is because of what we've gone through over the last year and a half. Uh, we, I, I talked to so many people that were discouraged and um, just discontented with, with all that took place. So I, I know the Lord had us walk through this and trying to grasp this contentment that in our world seems so fleeting, right? I mean, we think we've got it and we don't have it. Uh, I'm reminded of the wealthy man who... Um, he was a wealthy man, but that he came upon some illness in his body, his his soul and his mind. He just wasn't he, he just wasn't doing well, and so he went to see a wise man and he said, "What should I do?" And and the man told him this: said, "Go find the most contented man in the world and bring back one of his shirts, and you put that shirt on, and you will be fine." So the rich man took all his servants, sent them to the four winds to find the most contented man in the world. And eventually they came back and they said, we've got good news and we've got bad news. The good news is we found the most contented man in the world. Well, that's great. Well, what's the bad news? The bad news is he doesn't own a shirt. Tongue in cheek there, but... We think in our day, the more stuff I accumulate, it's got to bring me contentment. And I know we jokingly say that, that money doesn't buy happiness, but we'd all like to prove that theory out, right? But uh, contentment just seems so fleeting. And we think if we can just get a little bit more, or we can, we can change places with somebody. There was a man who, uh, a poor man, who was a stonecutter. And he just lived in a, in a tent, and he was a stonecutter. And one day he heard that a king was coming into the village. So he went into the village and saw this king come by with his entourage and everything, and he thought, man, that's the most power in the world. Oh, if I could just be a king. Voila, he became a king. And so he's now a king, and, and he thinks he has all the power in the world, but he looks out at his subjects, the people, the peasants that were out there, and he noticed something about them. He noticed the sun was just creating havoc for them. They were, 
They were tired. They were sweating. They were thirsty. And he thought, the sun, that's the most powerful thing in the world. Oh, if I could just be the sun. And the next thing you know, he's, he, he's the sun. And so he thinks he's the most powerful thing in the world. And, but he notices that a breeze came along. And the wind came along and it brought pleasure to the people because the sun was no longer uh, be, beating down on them. He thought, oh, if I can just become the wind, that's the most powerful thing in the world. So the next thing you know, he's the wind. And so he's blowing and all things seem to be blowing and he seems to be have all the power until he spotted a boulder, a rock that was not moving. And he noticed this rock that was there and he thought, that rock, that's the most powerful thing in the world. Oh, if I could just be a rock. And the next thing you know, he's a rock. And he's there, he's doing nothing, he's just a boulder, uh, the wind's not affecting him, he's just there. But one day, a man comes ambling up to him, and he pulls out of his bag, he pulls out a chisel and a hammer, and he begins to chisel on the rock. He said, oh, if I could just become a stone cutter, they're the most powerful thing in the world. The thing that he was running from that he thought discontented, in the end, he thought it would bring contentment. Now, we chase after other things today. And we're wrapping up this secret of contentment. And today, it's going to really be where the rubber hits the road with this. So we're in chapter 4 of Philippians. And I want to begin with verse 10. And we're going to back up. From there, but I want to begin with verse 10. So let me read. I encourage you to mark, take notes, do whatever is going to take for you to stay plugged in because I think it's a very relevant word today. So Philippians 4.10, Paul is speaking. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, all of us know verse 13. We've seen it on locker room walls. We've seen it on t-shirts coffee mugs, but we do not understand the context very well of where that verse came from. You see, Paul is writing this from prison, and he says, I have learned, I have learned how to be content in every situation, whether I'm high or I'm low, abundance or need, it doesn't matter. I have learned how to be content in all circumstances. And I've discovered that there are three categories that cause discontentment or lack of peace in our life. The first one is people. We have to deal with people, but oftentimes people cause anxiety in our life, especially if you're an introvert, you're thrown into a crowd or something like that. But also, how many of us have faced bullies in life? Or we have had to face uh, the the teacher that we haven't done our homework or, or something, or, or to... Go and uh, meet your future father-in-law or something like that. You know, there is just this uh, angst that can come from people. It's just part 
of life. So people are, are one thing that create this discontent or this anxiety in their life. Number two is circumstances. Uh, your circumstances dictate so often how you handle life. Your health, uh, your financial state, uh, what position are your kids in, you know, in life. And these circumstances, where they have to move and relocate like many of you have here. So your circumstances can create anxiety or discontent in your life. So there's people, there's circumstances. Number three, though, is uh, uh, material things. Things that exist on this planet that we have. Uh, in other words, you buy a new car and two weeks later you get a hailstorm that hits on it. Uh, I have now driven it longer uh, fixed than I did under the hail damage. But, but you know, different material things. Things break down. Uh, you get new carpet. Somebody's going to make it dirty. But in the meantime, you're so anxious about keeping it clean. There's other things that break down. So these three things create, these three categories uh, create angst or, or discontent or anxiety in your life. You've got people, you've got circumstances, you've got material things. Now, quick question just to answer within yourself is, when you look at your life right now, is there any people, is there any circumstances, or is there any material things that are causing me to be uptight, uh, discontent, full of anxiety? Well, probably all of us in this room, if we're honest, can say, yeah, I have something that I'm concerned about in that area. Well, Paul had learned, whether he's high or low, whatever the situation, whatever he's going through, he may not understand it, but he's learned to be content in that. Now, we're going to back up because he gives four uh, things in, in the first uh, nine verses he gives four things about how to help you deal with discontent. So let's deal with number one. Number one is this. Stand firm in the Lord. You can write that down. Stand firm in the Lord. Look at what it says in verse one. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm in the Lord. Well, the term stand firm is uh, actually one of soldiers. They are holding the line. They are uh, not giving way. They're holding the line right there. That's what they're doing. They're standing firm. And standing firm, I want you to hear this, is a proactive thing and not a reactive thing. You don't wait until the army's coming against you and say, Oh, we better form our line. We better stand firm. No, you want to be proactive because you know things are going to come against you. What's well, the same way in this world? Things break. People get angry at you. Uh, people intimidate you. There are circumstances that are beyond your control. And so what Paul is telling him, listen, stand firm. But it not only says stand firm, he says stand firm in the Lord. You see, it's going to be weakness on you. Where he said, I can do all things who strengthens me, he was literally saying, I am so weak that he can come and be my strength. And that's what he's saying here. Stand firm. Don't wait for the bad times to come. You stand firm now. Why does the world uh, come against Christ followers so much? Well, Jesus said they're going to hate you because they hated me. Because we stand 
for the things that this world despises. And so what, what he's saying is, listen, stand firm now. Get ready for it. It's going to come. But you don't have to be all anxious about it. Just stand firm in the Lord. He will be your defender. He will be the one for you. So stand firm in the Lord. Now, the second one is agree in the Lord. Look at verse 2. Agree in the Lord. He says, I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat uh, Sintichi. I actually looked that up. Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Euodia and Sintichi were two women in this church, and they had worked side by side, fruitful ministry with Paul. However, something happened between these two ladies, and they, they were uh, butting heads antagonistic towards one another, and it was affecting the whole congregation. And so what Paul says is, listen, you need to agree in the Lord. That, that's what's going to happen. Listen. If you go through life and somebody doesn't irritate you, man, you're, you're made of, of, you're that stone. Because people are going to come against you. Decisions aren't going to be agreed with. But yet we can, we can agree in the Lord. And so what, what uh, Paul is saying is, listen, you're going to be content. This, this fracture has caused discontent, but you need to come and agree in the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you remember back in Philippians 2, he said that we are to have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who humbled himself to obedience to being, uh, being willing to be crucified on a cross. In other words, he's telling them, listen, you agree in the Lord. You submit to one another. Listen, th- there may be times that you don't agree, but we can agree in the Lord on what's most important. I shared this last week, but if you take the Lord and two people are, are pursuing the Lord, they automatically got to grow closer to one another. That's what I think is a great marriage situation. But these two ladies, they're serving the Lord, they're pursuing the Lord, but they had this headbutt in this area. But if they continue to pursue the Lord and they agree in the Lord, they're going to automatically come closer to one another. And hear me on this. He's not talking about uniformity. People think if everybody was just like everybody else, the world would be great. I don't want you to be like me. I do not want you to be like me. Uh, there are certain things in my life, uh, okay, model, but there are certain things. I don't want you like me. I want you to be who God created you to be. And I love the diversity of God because he brings together people. He brings together this body of Christ. And, you know, Central has a unique personality. That's just the way we are. Every congregation has a unique personality. And, and so you would come because of this diversity. And so what Paul is saying here, you need to agree in the Lord. There may be things you don't like, the things they don't like. But listen, in the Lord, we can come in agreement and be content even in the midst of that. The third thing that uh, Paul says is live knowing The Lord is at hand. Live knowing the Lord is at hand. Look in verse 4. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Many of you probably have remember, uh, memorized this at some point because it is that uh, golden of a passage. But notice what, what uh, Paul is saying here. He says we need to be of joy. And why do we need to be of joy? Because I think he is getting across, because he's going to label these things in just a moment, we need to live life in the presence of God, knowing that he is there. Knowing that he has not abandoned us, knowing that he cares, and any circumstance that comes to us has come through his hands first, and he has allowed it to happen. And so he says we must rejoice and practice the presence. So point number three is live knowing the Lord is at hand, that he is near, and he, we are not abandoned or, or orphaned. He said rejoice, be of joy. And then he uses a word I promise you I've never used in a sentence, reasonableness. And I'm thinking, what in the world does that mean? But it's a beautiful word. It means the graciousness uh, that we dispense towards others. In other words, we're not panicky. We're not frazzled. We are calm in the midst of what is going on. You know, one of the things that was interesting about COVID is that COVID did not cause things. COVID revealed things. And it concerned me about how many Christ followers just ran to a panic and a, fr- a frenzy. And, and what Paul is saying here is, listen, let your reasonableness, let your graciousness, let your way of dealing with things, your genuine way of dealing things, let that be upon other people. And they will recognize it. They will see uh, that you're different. And then he said this, he says, in everything, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, and he gives, he gives the things to do in everything. He says, first of all, by prayer. Uh, prayer, he's referring to here, that recognition of God being present. You know, if we can just see God being present with us constantly. Brother Lawrence, he was a monk in Paris and he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And, and Brother Lawrence's goal was to live each day in the presence of Jesus. Just living life, knowing that he's there, and that he cares, and he can follow. And uh, that's what Paul is alluding to here, by prayer. Just knowing that God is present, that you're not alone in the midst of what you're going through. And then he says, by prayer... And with supplication, what is supplication? Supplication is that humbly asking of the Father to come before the Father and humbly ask uh, of Him. And then he says, do it with thanksgiving. See, this is the hard part for me. Can I come to the point of trusting God's presence enough that I can say, Lord, I know you care and you're present I just want to thank you in advance for what you're going to do. Because I know you care about me. And that's what Paul says. He says, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, that God will hear and he will respond. 
And then he says this, let your request be made known to God. And, and the question that sometimes people ask is, Mark, does prayer, does it really do anything? Is God going to do what he's going to do whether I ask him or not? Is he going to just do what he's going to do? Well, we see the scriptures. We know that, that Moses and the people, when they repented, fell before the Lord, the Lord changed his direction. So we do know that that happens. But here's what I want you to understand. God knows your need even before you ask. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount, that the Father knows your need even before you're going to ask. But for some reason, He desires for us to desire Him. So prayer is for us more than it's just to get God's attention. He desires for us to desire Him. Does He have a need in that area? No. He just knows that it's best for us to desire Him. And He says, let your request be made known before God. And then He says this, the peace beyond human comprehension will come. We struggle because we see those things about people, circumstances, material things, when those come against us, we think God has abandoned us. And Paul is wanting to come back to that point. Listen, if you can live in the presence knowing that he's there. But many of us are like the little girl who couldn't sleep one night. So she goes in to her parents' bedroom. And you that are parents understand this. He, the dad was awakened by the stare, right? The stare. And uh, you've all had the stare. And he wakes up, and she says, Dad, I can't sleep. I'm, I'm afraid in my room. He says, Honey, there's nothing in your room. Uh, just going back to bed. So she goes, and she's back really fast. That, that solved nothing. And, and she's staring at him. And, uh, Dad, I can't sleep. I'm afraid in my room. And he, says, he pulls the God card. He says, Listen, honey. Uh, you got to understand, Jesus is with you in your room. And so she goes walking down the hallway back to her room, and she peeks in the door and said, Jesus, if you're in there, do not move or you're scared me to death. And I think that's what we're afraid of. But, you know, we're afraid that Jesus is going to move. And I think we live in a day where we need an awakening. We need that awakening Jesus, you're here, you're present. Just, just stir us. Just stir us. Well, there's a fourth thing that uh, Paul hits on. So if you're with me so far, stern, stay, stand firm in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Remember the Lord is at hand. And then the last one is fix your mind. Fix your mind. Verse 8 says this, Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Fix your mind. Fix your mind. And I don't mean fix it like you fix a car. I mean 
fix it on the things you're supposed to fix it on. I think we live in a day where stinking thinking is killing us. And and let me give you let me give you how it works in our day. And this might not be you, I, I, uh, but it, it's so many of us. The alarm clock goes off, whatever time it goes off for you. And the first thing you do is you're ticked off because you stayed up too late to watch the game or whatever the night before. So you're already ticked off. And then what you do is you check the for emails and the headlines that happened overnight. And you're thinking, how can people send emails in the middle of the night? And then you read the headlines, and the next thing you know is you're uh, completely frustrated, and, and you haven't even got in your day. So what's the next thing you do? You check your weather. You check your weather app because you need to know how to dress a particular day, and you need to know what's going on. If it's raining, it's raining. And then you check the scores from the other games last night to see if your team won, and if they won or lost dictates uh, about your day. And then why we do this, I don't know. We put the scales right by the shower, and we step up on the scales before we get in the shower, and the next thing you know is, whoa, I can't, I can't believe that. And, and, uh, and then we check ourselves in the mirror before we get in the shower, and we see more gray hair, and we see wrinkles. Was that that way last night? And 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 then then you go and get in the shower and you're creaking, your back's hurting and and this kind of stuff, and and you get out and and all of that within 20 minutes, and your day is shot, stinking thinking has just come in, and you know we all battle that we battle this stinking thinking, and what Paul says is is listen, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just. Whatever is pure, you dwell on these things. Let your mind be fixed on these things. And, and this is a thought. We may not be able to change our circumstances or the people we work around or whether things will break down, but the one thing we can control is our mind and attitude. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, fix your mind. I, I love what Eugene Peterson, his paraphrase of, of Philippians He says this, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating upon things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized, and do that, and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Fix your mind on things that are true and noble and pure. How do you do that? Well, the Word of God is the way uh, we focus on it. So, here's my thought. You, You come and you have discontent. Are you willing to stand firm in the Lord? God, I don't completely understand what's going on, but I'm going to stand firm right here because you've asked me to stand firm. And I trust you. And Or is there a conflict in your life? 
But you need to agree with the Lord. You need to come in harmony with the Lord. Uh, many of us love uh, singing groups, a cappella groups like pentatonics because, man, they're so good and they've they're, they got this harmony going on and the soprano's doing what she's going to do and the tenor's doing what he's going to do. and the, you got this whole thing. They're not singing the same notes, but they're coming together with beauty and that's the body of Christ. So can we agree in the Lord? And then can we practice the presence of God, knowing that He is here even though we don't understand, knowing that He is here. And then fourthly, can we fix our minds on what is pure and noble? I want to wrap up this book with a, uh, a personal story, and, and then we'll be through. Uh, for you that don't know us, um, we have three grown children, uh, have kids of their own and, and, and that kind of thing. And... Um, but I remember as I was focusing on this message this week, I thought about uh, a time when we had moved here in 1985. I was a youth minister over First Baptist Church in town. And one of the admins had a tent that they were getting rid of because the poles were broke. And, and she said, if you want it, you can have it. And so I said, heck yeah. You know, we, we didn't make any money. Yeah, we'll take that tent. She said, well, you'll have to get poles. Okay, I'll get, I'll find poles. And, and back in, in the, the mid-80s, the only academy was out on, I think it was on Burnett or something like that, Academy Army-Navy Surplus. Do you remember that? Uh, and uh, so I went out there, and sure enough, I found tent poles. I thought, I'm the greatest dad in the world. I found tent poles. We got a tent. We're going to go camping. Yeah. And so we decided we're going to go camping. Uh, the girls were maybe three at the most. Josh was maybe five, uh, four or five in, in that. And when I say the girls, we have twins. And uh, so they, they were there. We're going to go camping. And we're going to go Meridian State Park, not too far from Waco, because Pam's family had grown up going there. And we'd, we'd been uh, many times. It was a place that we thought we were familiar with. Pretty familiar. And so we get there, and uh, we, we, uh, we get out, and I'm looking for a place. Now, they have screened-in shelters, and we went, went ahead and let's get a screened-in shelter so we can put our food and everything in that. But, man, I'm going to set the tent up. And uh, so I look for a flat area, and, man, I found a wide-open flat area not far from our screened-in shelter. And I thought, this is perfect. It's perfect. So I put the, the tent up, you know, and Pam and I are trying to work it for the first time, and we finally get it up, and we put the blow-ups in there, and then we, man, we're proud of ourselves, and, and we're saying, okay, let's uh, take the kids. We go swimming in the lake. We grill burgers. I mean, it is, uh, we're great. We're great parents at this point, and now it's nighttime, and uh, so... Uh, we got that uh, blow-up, you know, those old blow-up things you put in the lake, and, the, and that's what the kids were sleeping on. Pam was going to sleep in there with, with them, and I am going to sleep outside, okay, keep the, the wildlife. Well, there's no wildlife, but, it, but uh, there was more wildlife for Pam in the tent than for me. So I took my banana chair. You remember those? 
uh, took my banana chair, strips, spread it out, and I'm outside, and Pam and the kids are inside, and they're they're sleeping, and I'm out there just basking in how great a dad I'm in, I, I am. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking up, and these clouds start to uh, accumulate. And uh, I'm thinking, man, that doesn't look good. And then uh, behind it, you can see the flash into the screened-in shelter. Well, I'm telling you, the clouds just unloaded. I mean, the lightning, it was, it was unloading. In the, and uh, all of a sudden, I hear, Dad, it's raining in tent. And that's the kids, and, and Mark, get out of here, you know. You can imagine who that was. But, but uh, so I, man, I'm, I'm trying to wake up, and, and uh, I go out there, and I'm getting it soaking wet, and I get into the tent, and it wasn't so much raining in. You know how tents are. You touch the sides, and it seeps in. And it's what, I mean, it was seeping good. And uh, so it's coming in, and we're in there. We're trying to, Pam and I are trying to get the kids in the middle and get towels around and, and this kind of stuff. So we're getting it all together. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, Josh, uh, I say, he's maybe five at the most, he says, Dad, i got to go to the restroom. And uh, I wanted to say, son, are you one in or two in it here? we got to know. And he he said, Dad, i got to go to the restroom. Now, Dad, who thinks about everything, had a big gulp on the ride down. So I had a big gulp cup, and that handles a five-year-old fine. And so I, I said, son, just go over here and, and do it. So he, he went over there, and he used the restroom. I thought, man, we're fine. We're going to handle this thing perfectly at this point. And then, and then... My two little beautiful twin daughters say, Dad, we got to go to the potty. <sighs> the big gulp cup is not going to work at, the, at this point. So uh, I, I, uh, I'm thinking, oh, man, i got to take them up to the bathroom, which means i got to take them to the car. I'm already soaking wet. I'm not content. And uh, I, I scoop up these two little uh, two, three-year-old girls, and uh, I'm running in the, uh, uh, just pouring down rain. I mean, we're all just getting soaking wet. I get to our Ford Fairmont station wagon, man. All of our nice cars disappeared when we had kids. We we had a station wagon. And uh, so I just kind of get them in there. I'm, there's no need to strap them in. Uh, we're just going to the restroom. So Man, we're just soaking wet, and and we get up to the the bathroom, and uh, once again I got to pick them up to carry them in. I'm just I'm just frustrated, so I pick up these two little girls, and we're just getting pelted with rain, and and I'll never forget it. Ashley said, "Dad, this has been a great day. <laughs> I want you to know at that moment I was content." I had been discontent because of circumstances, but that topped them all. Because my daughter was content because she was in the arms of her father. Can we come to the point of knowing that we're in the arms of our father? And whatever comes, comes. 
It's part of a fallen planet. But we can walk in contentment. The book of Philippians ends with one more verse that I want to share with you. It's verse 19, 419. And it says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will provide it all.